Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. I'm Chris. And this week, we are looking at family in The Lord of the Rings. Indeed we are. So before we get started, what does family mean to you? What does it mean to me? Yeah. Um, well, family is interesting because to me because I'm, I like some of my family a lot, and I'm close to the, some of them a lot, but I don't know how important family as a, like an idea is to me. I think I like the idea of chosen family, but ideas of bloodlines and biology and stuff like that, I just don't care about. Mm. And I don't necessarily think it's helpful for the world. <laughs> so I think there's something interesting to me definitely about growing up together with people because then you have, you know, family history, family cycles, and, you know, those types of things. But I don't think to me, family needs to be defined in terms of genetics or something like that. And at different times of my life, I've been much closer to some people who aren't in my family than people who are, or, you know, it, it just, relationships ebb and flow, right? Mm. And yeah, I think that there's some people I've had such a strong connection with that aren't in my family, but we treat each other and we're closer to each other than a lot of people are with, than they are with their families. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. What, what about you? Family definitely means a lot to me. It, it's pretty important to me. <laughs> I um, know it does. <laughs> yeah. Like anytime I'm watching or, or engaging in a pe- with a piece of media that deals with issues of fam- family, it tends to affect me make uh, you cry yeah definitely weep um i like i've sob. talked in the past on this podcast about the fairmere boromir relationship being mm-hmm. important and then certainly movies and things that deal with children and parents and they, those are the ones that tend to get me coco oh <laughs> oh, coco <laughs> so yeah th- those concepts of of family and of kind of something that binds you together even if it's not someone who who you like would choose is powerful to me you know like Mm -hmm. you don't choose your parents but they're your parents you know you don't choose your children but they're your children and for me there's still a kind of responsibility to do right by them because they're yours and and that's powerful but see to me i feel like you should have responsibility to do right by your friends by even strangers right i mean i I agree with that as well but Mm -hmm. i think that there's an extra added thing with family because they're you are their family right like hopefully everyone will do right by them but as your family there's an added impetus an added kind of yeah of responsibility there to kind of be there and i mean there are definitely things that you can ask of your family that you probably wouldn't ask of anybody else Mm -hmm. i mean only if you have a family that you can ask though which obviously is not the case for a lot of people. Yeah. And and I think that's a it's a good thing to bring up too because I, you know, am certainly lucky enough to have siblings that I'm I'm close with and a family that I can stand, which I know isn't always the case or you know, that mm-hmm. that I don't have too much traumatic history with, which isn't always the case and you know, that's a privilege. And and I I definitely understand that too. I also have very wide extended families, some of whom I'm close with, some of whom I'm not as close with, you know? Uh, my, my mom had 
over 10 siblings, which just means I have billions of cousins and I can't, I'm not close with all of them, you know, but there's still something about going to a family event, even if I'm not going to be close with everyone there, kind of that atmosphere of family that's cultivated by, by my family on, on both sides, I think is, is powerful. And yeah, there's something that, that hits me hard. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited to talk about it today in the Lord of the Rings. I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> so to start us off, I know you have a quote for us. It comes from Fellowship of the Ring, Chapter 2, The Shadow of the Past. And what's happening here is Gandalf is explaining to Frodo kind of the history behind Smeagol. The Ring had given him power according to his stature. It is not to be wondered at that he became un very unpopular and was shunned when visible by all his relations. They kicked him, and he bit their feet. He took to thieving and going about muttering to himself and gurgling in his throat. So they called him Gollum and cursed him and told him to go far away. And his grandmother, desiring peace, expelled him from the family and turned him out of her hole. Yeah, so this this quote was an interesting one because it can kind of get to, the you know, the dark side of family sometimes. Not the side of the family you like to think about. Definitely not. <laughs> but certainly there are some instances when, when you do not have responsibility to your family. Um, when your family member is a murderer who bites your feet, that's that's a good one. <laughs> like, you understand why, okay, no, I'm sorry, you murdered your cousin. Mm -hmm. We're not okay with this. I'm not saying that, that the grandmother made the right choice, you know. We, we don't know what ideas of criminal justice were in Smeagol's community. And, and how reconciliation or how rehabilitation could exist or didn't exactly. exist. Exactly. I mean, that's the interesting thing. It's like, did, did they try to rehabilitate him or, or not? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also interesting the fact that he was kicked out. He has the ring of power. He could go back if he wanted to, but he never did. Mm. And he just spent the rest of his life alone until he lost the ring so it's it's interesting yeah and and i think that you could read into that that you know being cast from your family it's hard to go back from that forcing mm -hmm. your family to be to be around you the ring of power cannot force someone to love you you mm -hmm. know or someone to accept you it can force them to listen to you or to to obey you but family when family is healthy it's not about obedience and I think that that's, that's an interesting idea that, that he spent 600 years alone after his family cast him out because mm -hmm. he had no one else left but himself in the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get to our analysis. What, what character did you bring today? So it was kind of hard to like choose one character because it's like family. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of look at this idea of family as potentially exemplified in two characters. Okay. So I was thinking about Bilbo and Frodo, hmm. and it particularly came to me because we just watched Fellowship of the Ring a couple of days ago. We did. It was great. Uh, yeah. And it was something that was kind of struck me while I was watching was if if part of their interactions could be seen as... The handing down of the ring from Bilbo to Frodo kind of symbolizing like handing down of dysfunction hmm. in some ways because 
when when they do meet again in Rivendell, Bilbo lashes out at at Frodo, and Frodo's just like scared mm. when when he lunges at him for the ring, and yeah, it's just this thing has kind of taken over parts of Bilbo, and it's negatively impacting Frodo, and then later Frodo is doing the same thing to Sam right and so it's just kind of like the family that happens a lot these like destructive patterns are handed down and they just continue to go out and like affect other people and it wasn't really something I had thought about before in terms of of them but it's yeah it's kind of interesting that's really interesting yeah I, I also see that in the fact that Frodo was not gifted the ring Mm-hmm. He was, I mean, given is, is the best word, but it's not powerful enough for it because he had no choice. In the mm-hmm. same way that you don't get to choose your family, you know, you don't get to choose the dysfunction that comes from your family for the most part. He wasn't able to choose mm-hmm. this heirloom, choose the path that it was given to him. You know, he talks later on that he wishes that he had never received it. Exactly. And I, I love that part where it's like, I wish that this had never come to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so does everybody who has to face that but what you have to decide is what to do with Mm. it right whether you continue those patterns or or not and sometimes like for Frodo it it was too hard for him to break without help of others right and I think yeah I think that's interesting and and I think at the very end it's interesting too that after everything that Frodo has been through and he's he's traveling with with Bilbo to the Grey Havens, and he's just like, "Oh, do you still have my ring? Like, I would, you know, I'd like to see it again, or I'd like to hold it again." And it's just like sometimes, even though they, sh- an older generation, should be so aware of the dysfunction that they handed down to you, they're not. They're just oblivious, and I can't just go and explain it all. So I'm just gonna be like, okay. That's so true. It's like, this is the closest to an apology I can get because I know I'll never get one. They will never truly comprehend what they did to me mm-hmm. um, or take ownership of that because that's just not an expectation that ten- people tend to have for, for their family and the way that their family, yeah, cause dysfunction in their lives. Huh. Yeah. Very interesting. Well done. Thanks. Well, yeah. I, I, I know some stuff about some dysfunctional <laughs> families, so <laughs> not that hard for me to find. <laughs> yes, one, one of the good aspects of us having very different styles of co-hosts is that we bring <laughs> vastly different perspectives in some senses. <laughs> so what about your plot for me? So my plot mostly deals with the family of one character, so we're both kind of skirting the line, but... Mm-hmm. Mine is about Aragorn's relationships with family. Mm-hmm. Because Aragorn was raised by the elves. Yep. Right? And so though his his destiny and his legacy are so tied up with his birth and his blood and his ancestors, his life is mostly tied up with the culture of the elves. Certainly his, his, his younger life, where he was raised by Elrond, essentially. He was raised in Rivendell. Mm-hmm. And... Sort of fell in love with his sister. With, yeah. Right? <laughs> who was... Stepsister. Who was probably already an adult when he was born. Or who was already an adult when he was born, yeah. you know. But I don't think they met until they were both adults. 
It's a little messy. Because she was being raised by Gladriel. Because Gladriel's her, like, grandmother or something. Yeah. The other thing that was very interesting that I found out uh, when I was kind of looking stuff up to double check, like, when he went to Rivendell and stuff like that, is that Elrond is actually his ancestor as well. Kind of. Um, He's part of his family. Mm. The first king of Numenor was Elrond's twin brother. They were both half-elves, and they could choose mortal humanity or elvenhood. Mm -hmm. And Elrond chose elvenhood, and his brother chose humanity and became the first king of Numenor. And then his children... Brother, what are you doing? Why don't you choose elfdom? His his children and his his descendants ultimately begat Aragorn. So he really was living with family in... Did you just say begat? Begat, yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, I just think it's, it's... an interesting idea that he kind of went to live with them, especially when you look at, as you mentioned, you know, we we're watching the the movie recently and Boromir is like, you are so close to run to the elves, but you won't come to Gondor, your actual mm-hmm. bloodline. And it's an interesting way of looking at it. If Aragorn kind of is more elfish in a lot of ways than he is human. He is more long lived than a normal human. Mm-hmm. He has all these ties with elves and with speaking elvish and and all these other kinds of things he sings in elvish you know you don't see him Mm -hmm. singing in in common or basic or english or if they call it middle earth um he knows a bunch of history only because the elves care about that basically yeah (laughs) and and so it's it's just a really interesting idea to see kind of his especially in the books i'm sorry especially in the movies his rejection of his human family and his human legacy Mm -hmm. right uh, in favor of that elvish family. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that in the movies, he seems much more affected by, like, I have weakness in me because my ancestors had weakness in them. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if I completely agree with. Like, I think it's definitely good to be wary of something like the ring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. But... In the books, it's not quite like that. It's like, oh yeah, I'll be king someday. He's already I'm got just not ready. Narsil reforged, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's interesting because in the book, it's like almost opposite. Where hmm, maybe he should be a little more concerned, and he's not. Mm-hmm. And then in in the movies, he's maybe not as aware of who he is because it's overshadowed by his ancestors. So yeah, yeah, it could be. But it also just makes me re rethink his engagement with Arwen, where he's telling her, you can't give this to me. You can't give me your life, basically. You can't give mm-hmm. me, you know, choose to be mortal to be with me because he doesn't want to choose to be a human. Mm. So certainly for the person he loves, who has even more access to elven family and ancestry and, and identity, he can't imagine why she would choose a mortal life, a human life, when he's not choosing that within mm. his own his own experience. So, yeah, just an interesting mm. kind of way of looking at at Aragorn's dilemma through the the perspective of and the theme of family. That's interesting. <laughs> well, what is your compelling question regarding family in Lord of the Rings? So, my question is: Do you think valuing family is a really strong part of any of the Middle Earth races? Hmm. In some ways, because for many of the races, we see it mostly with with dwarves in particular, but they are introduced as 
whose son they are. Hashtag patriarchy. Yeah. And so I think that in a lot of places, especially the kind of upper class, which is mostly what we see in Middle Earth, that patriarchal lineage is very important to the characters, right? Whose son you are and how you engage with your ancestors, aka your male ancestors, is vitally important, particularly in regards to nobility and, and such like that. Mm-hmm. Because with the dwarves, you also see how in The Hobbit, many of the dwarves are Thorin's cousins, nephews, nieces, all, etc. But you don't see a familial bond there. You see mm-hmm. a, a loyalty because he's their king and perhaps a familiarity because they no longer have a home. And so these bonds of the connections that you have are important because they're, they're the connections that you're fighting to maintain. But you don't see that outside of Feely and Keely in the movies, at least, you don't see that huge amount of like, yeah, familial love or, or engagement between mm-hmm. them. So I don't know if I'd see it between them. I think within, within, uh, Rohan, for example, Theoden is very engaged with, uh, the idea of his ancestors, you know, but he raised his sister's children kind of like his own, but he then, it's not until he dies that he says, I should have treated you more like a father or like a son or like a daughter. I should have treated you like my father. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. That, that's an interesting question. If, if I can break it down by, by race. Yeah, because to me, like, it didn't seem like something that's very important to the elves. Mm-hmm. And it's like you see it in bloodline and, yeah, nobility, but you don't really see it in relationships, mm. I would say. And, yeah, I think obviously the oh, wizards don't have it because they're basically <laughs> angels. Just a few of them. Yeah. But and, the blue wizards are like siblings, apparently. We just don't learn anything about them. Mm-mm. So I almost thought of it as my, as my missed opportunity, but it's so unknown that it's just widely missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, like, you, it seems like it's supposed to be important to the humans, but in reality, it's like, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, hobbits, you would think it's important to them because they kind of live a lifestyle that you would expect it being important to them, but... At the end of the day, it's like, well, I guess we're going to go off on a year traveling thing and not tell any of our family. Yeah. It's just totally fine, you know? And so it's like a lot of them are kind of related and whatnot, but I'm not sure that it is a value in and of itself. And Sam has a bazillion kids, but even in the end, he went after Frodo, mm-hmm. you know? Like, even if he's eternally separated from his kids in whatever afterlife, if they don't go to the same afterlife or, you know, whatever it is. But Sam right? doesn't go to the Great Havens. Yeah, he does. No, he doesn't? Yeah. He's he's allowed in because he was a ring bearer. Sort Frodo of. is, but he, he... No, Sam follows him. I don't think Sam does. Sam totally follows him. It's in an appendices. All right, let's see. Let's see what Dr. Aaron has to say. Um, I know it for sure because I was so sad that they were super separated and they were the best of friends. And then when I read that, I was like, oh, I'm okay. You're right. Yeah, I am. Yeah, after, like... He was elected mayor seven times or whatever. Because yeah. I remember that I remember that he stayed yeah. no, on. No, Rosie had died, so it's not like oh, he's leaving his wife. Right. But like he's still he's gonna be separated from his kids. His kids were still alive, you know. And like even him, he in the end 
went after Frodo, and bam, I'm right well on done. this one thing on regarding one Lord thing. of the Rings. Well done. Because you job. know Lord of the Rings better than me, <laughs> so I will take victory in this. Do that, please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't seem like it's a fam, like it's a it's a like cultural value mm-hmm. among the races. Yeah, which is interesting because I feel like in many high fantasy type things like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that and and other things that use the same kind of race breakdown, dwarves tend to be very family oriented. But I don't mm-hmm. know if I see that here. We also see less of them outside of the Hobbit. That's but, true. They just seem very treasure oriented. Yeah, yeah. And and like, you know, sovereignty oriented and like, mm-hmm. you know, what what they what they deserve or what have you. But yeah, that's interesting. What's your question? My question is, do you see the Ents' loss of, an, of the Entwives mm. as a loss of family? Hmm. That's really interesting. That would be a very interesting way of looking at, like, loss of, of a loved one. Mm. As, like, you lost them and, and that in some ways you lose part of your future. And you remember things about them and you remember that they're important, but you can't quite remember what they look like hmm. as vividly anymore. That's as interesting. I, I never really thought about that. Yeah, yeah. You bring up future is really interesting idea too, because the idea of family often has the component of children and of, of building a future and continuing on family, right? And for the Ents, losing the Entwives meant that they, there were no new Ents, you know? They, mm-hmm. they lost that future as kind of, as you mentioned. But for me, I always saw it more as <clears throat> losing their race, their people, rather than losing their family. Hmm. But it would be interesting, I think, in terms of losing a significant other, something like you lose that future that you were going to have with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also kind of see the way that Treebeard engages with with like the loss of the trees around Isengard mm. as a kind of familial reaction, you know, because these clearly are not trees that he's seeing all the time, but he's they're trees that he's known for such a long time, many of them since they were born, essentially. And that mm-hmm. is kind of a family thing, you know, like he helped to probably raise them in some ways and he has known them since they sprouted and he has been along on their journey and he has this close connection with them, in particular, a connection with a dying race, as you kind of mentioned, you know, and so losing that and and, and that being their call to arms, I think is a really interesting look at, at, at that as well, mm-hmm. because you know, would would he have cared if it was the trees of Mirkwood or of a different forest, right? Mm-hmm. That he doesn't have that same familial connection to mm-hmm. um, enough to, you know, spark them going to war the way that they did. And in some ways, I would say he would have cared. But yeah, I don't know that he would put his own people's entire like survival at risk just to go to war for it when it when it wasn't his forest yeah yeah interesting yeah, yeah. Hmm. oh the ants oh, poor the ants, ants. I know. also how do you lose the ant wives they wanted to go garden and bachelor ants just wanted to do their own thing they didn't want to be tied down well then they should be left 
I mean, yes. <laughs> Stop being such a bro, tree beard. <laughs> okay, so missed opportunity. Yeah. Why don't you go first? Okay. So my missed opportunity is that besides if we're going to look at my like character topic in this symbolic way, I don't think you see in any like tangible or literal ways within the stories that parents have a significant impact on characters Hmm. and you have a lot of like orphaned characters you know you have Aragorn Frodo the uh Eowyn and Elmer Mm -hmm. like you have maybe probably more (laughs) (laughs) and that never really seems to impact them Hmm. And you also have, like, abusive parents, Hmm. like Denethor, right? And that didn't seem to impact Faramir, like, a ton. He didn't, like, oh, it wasn't great, right? But you don't see that really come out in his character a lot, at least to me. Hmm. And so I feel like they could have done more with that. I think one of the exceptions would be with Sam, I think he would talk about some of the things like his his dad would say, right, to him. And, and even at the end, like how his dad really didn't believe that Sam had like done these things or was like great, you know, did smart things or whatnot. And, and Frodo's like, um, no, actually he, he did all these things. And you, so you do kind of see that, I think, have an impact on Sam's self-confidence. Hmm. And, like, thinking that he's, you know, a fool or, you know, these different things, right? He's he's kind of down on himself, right? And so so you, you do kind of see it there a little bit, but there's not a ton. There's not a ton there. And I yeah. think that there could have been and should have been probably more. Yeah, that's really interesting. I definitely saw Sam as the kind of one example that sprung out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for Faramir, the, the one thing I, that would come up would be the decision to go out to this losing battle that his mm-hmm. father wants him to. But that's also tied up with this is what his king wants him to do. Yeah. So I'm sure that there's elements of both involved there, but certainly in the movies, a lot of it is about the the love of his father missing. and for sure, for and, sure. and him only caring about Boromir and the ghost of Boromir more than Faramir. And yeah, I think I was thinking a little more books than, which, than the which movies. Which exists in the, in the books, Toronto. but mm-hmm. yeah, the, the movie's really really hit on that in in return mm-hmm. of the king which i think is actually really well done yeah no i i think that honestly one of the best scenes of like the whole the whole oh, um, series so good i know it's so good but yeah in, in general not a not a ton of impact and, yeah. and maybe part of it is just like they live in these kind of like warring societies and so like being orphaned and stuff like that is in unexpected mm-hmm. in in the same ways as maybe we would think of it here in like the states hmm. but yeah i mean they, they was taken in by a, a relative and and stuff like that so i don't know it's just interesting and maybe part of it is like that all of these people are adults like mm-hmm. they're pretty you know they're getting up there in years so maybe when you're in your 80s you wouldn't really <laughs> be like not that it wouldn't affect you but like it wouldn't affect you the same way as when you're 20 yeah that's a good point what about you what is your missed opportunity my missed opportunity is that i would love to see more of an engagement with issues like family i think families are really really good one for this in particular but in elven culture and specifically how being immortal 
affects your concept of family. Right. Because as I mentioned, Elrond is the great, 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 great ancestor of Aragorn, right? And Mm -hmm. so having not only that kind of, those kinds of relations, but having someone who might be three generations younger than you, like your grandchild or your great-grandchild, who is also 2,000 years old, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. what is that like? And then what does it mean to have a child and make that decision to bring in someone who can live forever into the world and and have these other kinds of questions. I think I'd love to see these brought up. And one of my one of the reasons why elves in general have never really captivated me in a lot of these high fantasy style stories is because I feel like they don't engage with these issues, you know? Like they're just seen as so stoic and unengaged and philosophical. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see more of the real nuanced decisions of everyday life as an immortal and how you engage with fantasy or with with family in those kinds of situations. Tolkien is obviously the best example of this type of high fantasy, but I haven't seen it in many uh, many pieces of fiction at all. And I, I would I would love to see something that really dives into that. The closest I've come to is probably a video game called Lost Odyssey, where some of the characters are immortal, and they deal with that in really interesting ways. But Mm. outside of that, yeah, I I just haven't seen a lot. Yeah, and it's kind of like, how do you, like, make decisions? Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about what if somebody is 10,000 years old, and then you have someone who is 100, (laughs) and it's like... Do they have like equal say? Mm. Like, should they have equal say? Maybe I don't. I don't know. Like, still there are a hundred. Mm. Like, it's just such a weird concept of time that it would be interesting to see. Yeah, if that would come out in like different hierarchical structures, or I don't know. Everybody has a voice, or only a few people have voices. You know, like it'd be interesting to see how that would impact that. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's the reason that uh, family's not important to elves, though. They're all just so tired of each other. <laughs> yeah, right? After a couple thousand years with your You've siblings. You've been my parent for <laughs> 7,000 years. I can't wait to go to the Grey Havens. I know. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, I guess we should do our, our takeaways. So I guess my takeaway is... Maybe we would see a lot more interesting things about family in regards to Lord of the Rings if we look at things more symbolically Hmm. than literally. And at the same time, the next time I read the books, it would be interesting to, to, yeah, pay attention to see if if there is more there and I'm just not remembering it all Hmm. because there's so much there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's my takeaway. I think mine goes back to similar conversations we've had in the past about kind of looking at this as a product of its time, you know, Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. and how more modern fiction deals with these kinds of issues much more explicitly. You don't have to look at that symbology. Um, Symbology? Symbology. And (laughs) not to mention, you know, Tolkien was writing a history of the world, not exactly deep dive into what it was like for these people to live well yeah and i i think that's interesting because it's a lot more set up kind of like history little mm-hmm. history textbook or like a lineage you yeah. know of of some royal family than 
lived experience. That's true. Like, he, he really loves, like, being able to track every single person's lineage, as you mentioned, and their ancestry, and know who was their father however many generations back, but... Who cares about their mother? That's yeah, true. But, and also, who cares about the relationships between father and child, right? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. just, uh, the only thing that matters is, is that lineage, and... Um, Which, yeah, is what matters when you're dealing with kingdoms and that that mm-hmm. sort of thing, but also... But he does the same thing with, you know, the hobbits. Like yeah. He has these huge family trees of hobbits, too, which um, <laughs> is also very interesting. So, yeah, it's, it's just uh, a different a different way of going about these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can you bring up what we're going to be talking about next week? Yeah. So, we're going to be on... The Hunger Games, and our topic is going to be <laughs> trust. Trust in the Hunger Games. Exciting. <laughs> Your character and what you're going to do. I mean, you, there's a lot of people, but there's one who definitely has some trouble with that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Trust in Hunger Games. Let's do it. Great. We want to thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. We really love hearing from you, uh, those of you who've been sending us messages and engaging with our stories on Instagram and things like that. Thank you very much, Brittany, for managing most of that. But I enjoy sure. hearing all the, the stories and, and reading the messages that Brittany shows me. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Keep them coming. and uh, We really, really love hearing from you. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines, or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor-Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, geek Geek out. out!